Hi, and I want to welcome you to Raising Playful Tots. My name is Melitza. I hope this show is a place where mothers like you can safely explore a slower, simpler, and playful lifestyle so that you can get to the heart of what your family needs to thrive, both now and in the years to come. Well, hello, and it's great to be back. Back on episode 173, we talked about life skills to look at over the summer. I shared with you 11 life skills um, looking after my family's needs. I encourage you to do the same. Find your own life skills and get some going. It's not that we were going to do all of those life skills over the summer, but that was a really good time to start because we had two and a half months off school, so it was a good, good time to be able to get started on a lot of things. It was interesting looking back at that show as I was preparing for this show and seeing how far we've come with some of those life skills and uh, how some of them we are still struggling with. What a difference time makes. Today we're continuing the theme of life skills, but not the practical hands-on life skills of mowing the lawn or following a system like learning how to use a washing machine. We're going to look at 10 social life skills. Social life skills are trickier to pin down. Just like life skills, over time, they need practice. Practice makes them even better for us. It makes them easier. But these skills are impacted by each of our families. So my family and the way that we do these skills might be different to yours. Not to mention the personalities that we have, the introverts, the extroverts, the empaths, the whole way that we make up our family, the children that come and stay with us for a little while, the, those children that are in and out of our homes, whether we have stepchildren um, in the home, all sorts of personalities that we have and in, within our families will change the way that we tackle these social life skills. So while we're going through them, you have to really consider where you are in your family and whether this is something that you should be considering to do right now. Let's dive right in and check out these 10 social life skills. I hope you'll get some ideas and resources to try with your family. Okay, number one, be able to work at a task without disturbing the people around. So by that, I mean tapping or singing or humming or swinging on a chair. So be able to work at a task without disturbing the people around. This is a social skill that most children understand the reason why that needs to happen. With all of these life skills, it's important that we explain what the reason is and why. We often start by asking them the question and see if they can give us an answer. But if not, you can, we can always start with just explaining what we're going to do. We need to be aware of what we do and how we do things. And often children really aren't aware. I have three boys. And each of them behaves and acts really quite differently. And sometimes they are so unaware of what they are doing. But when you, you look at them, you can see. And so they have to be aware of what they're doing. Often they don't realize. I've been in classroom situations with you know 30 children. And you say to someone, you're tapping a pencil. And they will say, no, I'm not. And you can hear it. And you know everyone else in the class is like, yes, you were. Because they were just unaware that they were doing that we all have things that we do it's like rocking on a chair it's humming when we get cross about something there's all sorts of things that we do without being aware of it but as we get older we often notice that we have these these habits and these things that we do so it's often a good thing to be able to share it with the children 
I've videoed my kids before doing different things without them seeing and just shown them. It's just between me and them for them to be able to see what they're doing. And they're often shocked that they didn't realize that they were doing it. Uh, we share it in a, a kind and loving way rather than see. I've caught you, you always, but more of like, well, look what's happened. You know, remember we were talking about this because no one likes to be caught out and they want to learn what to do better. So we can have a discussion about it. Maybe they need a fidget toy to be able to play with when they are doing a task and that will stop them from tapping or disturbing. Fidget toys are often something that we think of with the very young children, the under fives, but sometimes this is a consideration that we need to do for our particular child. So we need to find something appropriate depending on the age of the child. So whether you have a 10 year old that fidgets or 15, or whether you have a five year old, they need to find some way of being able to work on a task without disturbing the people around them. Now there's fidget toys that you can get in your hand, there's fidget toys that you can put in your pocket if you want to be more discreet. And there's fidget toys that you can put underneath the table so that they can touch them while they're at their desk at school or at home. There's also fidget things that you can have underneath the chair. Um, you can have a ball instead of having a chair. That sometimes helps those children that are moving about. So it's working with your kids to find out what it is that they do and being able to find a solution. They need to be able to work at a task without disturbing the people around. So they need to know what their triggers are. What do they usually do? Are they a tapper? Do they sing and they hum? Are they the kid that comes in talking without realizing that other conversations or silence is going on? You know, what do they do that you can help them with to be able to do something different? Sometimes it's as simple as watching what other children like you are doing that you just hold them close and you say, look at what everybody else is doing right now. Look how they are sitting on the chair or look at how they are working. How are they doing that? Maybe it's an older child that's doing that or another adult so that they can see what other people are doing and they can notice their body posture, where they're sitting, where their feet are, what's happening. The same thing you can do with listening. If they are tapping or singing or humming, you can just quietly go over to them and, and kind of hold them and hug them and touch them and say, just listen, listen, what can you hear? And often it was them that was making all the sound and the noise and they would say silence or quiet or I can hear a few people over there doing that or it could even be other people that are singing. For them to realize that there are other sounds that are available for you to be able to say, let's have it like this, nice and quiet for a little bit. Now that's not to say we need to mute all of the children that are really loud. I'm a, a quiet person, so I have a sensitivity to that. But I think as we all have to live together, we all have to learn to, to give and take. And those louder children need to learn to be quieter for those that need to be quiet. And the quieter children need to understand that there will be people that need to be loud. So we have to learn how to live with each other. I like to also talk to the children about the future and link the way in which they behave now. The habits that they do now are the habits that they'll take with them as they get older. You don't all of a sudden, once you walk into your job at whatever age that is, stop tapping and singing and humming if that's what you've been doing for the last 10 years. But if you learn how to be able to work around without disturbing other people, then you will be somebody that is really wanted 
in the workplace. So that's the first thing. Be able to work at a task without disturbing the people around. Being able to help your child to be able to do that. Number two, speaking feelings to express anger, frustration, excitement and joy. I've been listening to the book by Dr. Michelle Borber called Unselfie, Unselfie. It's really, really good. And I've just ordered the book as well because I know that I'm really going to enjoy um, making lots of notes from there. But just listening to that audio book has really given me some insight in empathy and being able to help um, my boys in particular. Feelings are something that we often want our children to do. We want them to be able to express them better by words rather than the, the manifestation of them. So we tend to get the anger and the frustration rather than hear that we're feeling angry and frustrated. And so being able to teach them the words to be able to use is really, really important. She talks about in her book how there seems to be a divide between girls and boys in the way in which we talk about feelings. And it doesn't happen on purpose, that we just don't talk about feelings enough and label them as feelings for the children to be able to understand what they are. So when they are feeling anger and frustration and excitement and joy and the whole range of different emotions, we should be able to label those and say the names of them for them to be able to understand. A fun thing that you can do is actually print off a list of many different expressions of anger, frustration, excitement, joy, all of those. And then as a fun activity at the table, see if you can make those expressions with your face and see if people can guess them. It's actually quite tricky. And what they do also is that they'll ask you, what does that word mean? And you get a chance to be able to talk them through. You know, English is just such a rich language there are so many words that we can use and being able to express yourself is the best thing and it's really frustrating when people don't understand what you're trying to say and when you are full of that emotion and kids are upset they manifest that emotion through violence hitting and pushing and shoving and being able to express themselves with words is what we really want them to be able to do I've developed some feeling cards to use at mealtimes. So you can get, it's called Values and Emotion Cards and it's in the library of resources that I have. It's free, it's a PDF, and I'll leave a link for that in the show notes about how you can get hold of those. Values and Emotion Cards. Um, and what it is is that you print them off and then you'll be able to, or have them as a PDF on your phone, at the dinner table and you'll be able to ask questions and be able to talk about feelings, values and emotions. I think the hardest thing at the table is we have these good ideas, I really want to do this, but now you have to think of them. And you know, we have 101 other things going on in our brain, so I've got 10 cards there for you to be able to look at for free, to be able to start having these conversations about anger, frustration, excitement and joy. Now I know I've talked a lot about the, the anger and the frustration, but the same with the excitement and joy. We don't often have all different words that we can talk about and emotions that go along with that. Moments a day, she has made some brilliant emotion cards that you can also get for free, and I'll leave a link for that in the show notes, that explores the whole range of different 
um, ex emotions that you can you can feel. We want the children to be able to express the emotions verbally more than they express them physically. And that comes from us actually talking about it ourselves with them in a way that they can understand. So I hope you'll be able to use some of those resources. So that was number two, speaking feelings to express anger, frustration, excitement, and joy, and the whole range of other ones. Number three, be aware that depending on your looks, what you're doing might be judged differently than your friends or not. Uh, this is a tricky question for our family in particular because um, we are a mixed family and we are living in the south of America at the moment just at the time when there's a lot of tension um, in the racial communities um, at the moment. There's, you've probably heard of all of the shootings that have been going on and yeah, it might have affected you, it might not have. So we're going to talk about race for a moment now. If you're white and have friends from another race, there are many things that might happen when the group of you are all together. When there's a group of white friends and they have a mixed group of people from other races, there's all sorts of things that might happen. When you're one particular group by yourself, say you're a group of black friends or, or Latino friends, then different things will happen to you. And so when you have the two groups mixing, it can be an interesting dynamic that happens if you're, you're moving together and you're, you're going somewhere. So for example, if you are going to the cinema or the movies, or you're going for a walk downtown, uh, you can be targeted and treated in very different ways. Now, you may not think that that's going to happen, but sadly, that's often what can happen. And so many parents make it their business to share with their kids how to be safe when they're outside. Now, safe from a point of race. And it's very important to realize that this isn't a universal. It won't happen to every child and in every situation. But I think it's important for us to know what we would do if we we're in that situation. So when you are with a friend and your friend is from another race, whatever your race is, when your, your child is with a friend from another race, what will they do if they are approached by different people? Because they will be treated differently. It's just the way life is. We try and bring up our children in a way that means that there isn't discrimination and the hope is that that is what will happen, that there will be no discrimination. But there is discrimination and how do we tackle it and what do we do? Our children need to know what to say and how to behave and when to stay with their friend and whether to leave. Often what happens is that they want to split the, the two or three people apart from each other and get one group of kids to stay and one group of kids to go. And it's important that you stand up for what needs to be said and ask questions. However, you need to do that in a safe way. So it's well worth having those conversations with our children before they leave the home. That when, we, when you're out with your friends and a problem happens, how are you going to deal with it? What are you going to do? Asking your friends to stick with each other and stay together is a really important thing. 
It's often difficult when you're out and you get separated because different things happen and, and you know your friend and your friend knows you, but other people don't know you. This is the one of the things that I would say that we need to be aware that because of the way I look, I might be treated in a different way than somebody else. Now, let's move it from race. We can talk about gender in exactly the same way. Girls will be treated in a different way than boys. And so if a boy is going out with a girl and there's a whole group of boys and there's a girl, then the dynamic will change and vice versa. So it's just teaching our kids that we need to be aware that our looks have an impact on the way in which people talk to us, treat us, and act around us, whether they cross over the road, whether they're wary of us, whether they are, are happy for us to be around. And that can change the dynamics of a group, that can change how we feel, it can make us defensive, it can make us defiant, it can make us welcoming, it can make us in all in many different ways. It might be the reason why you explain to your, your son or daughter that you shouldn't go out in big groups of four or five of you or ten of you or that you should stick to small groups. Those are conversations that are best for your own family, but it's worth having and exploring the conversation and talking about other friends. So if you are um, a Caucasian family, it's talking about what about your black friends? What are their experiences? Your Hispanic friends and in other nationalities too. So if you're Hispanic, you might want to talk to other groups and see the same, see what's going on. Be interested in the diversity of your groups of friends. As the children get older, they still cling to the people that are like them, people that, that are similar to them. You know, how diverse is their group of friends for them to understand what it's like to be that type of child, live in that neighborhood, be with those friends, work in those jobs, be of that skin color, come from that background, have traveled from that country. We have so many different things that are going on in our countries right now, but still yet we have lots of islands, islands of um, color, islands of um, socioeconomic groupings that we don't always um, have the empathy to understand because we just don't know. And we have to rely on the, the input from media and not from actually meeting people and getting down and talking about it. When in fact, many of us have friends that are in a wide variety of different diversity groups. So it's up to us to share with our kids ways of letting them handle the situation as best that they can. So there are many things that you can talk about and really dig deep in. I wanna share with you an iceberg picture that really helps you to understand because we can go a lot deeper than that and I'll share that in the show notes for you to be able to look at to help you to be able to have these conversations. So number three is be aware that depending on your looks what you're doing might be judged differently than your friends or not. So it's teaching our children to have empathy and understanding for what's going on that noticing that if you are going out with a friend who's of a different race or a different gender, different socioeconomic group perhaps, many of the things that are different than you, that there might be 
different things that will happen to them that you don't expect. And it's preparing our children for those things so that they can be supportive of their friends and keep, they both keep themselves safe. Number four, disagree appropriately. Now we had one of the shows before called Parenting, with the book Parenting a House United. That was show 174. So that was the one that we talked about being able to disagree appropriately. It's funny, that's the next show after the life skills show that I mentioned at the very beginning, 173. So when we disagree appropriately, children need to learn how to do that. It's probably the biggest trigger that we have as parents is that when we're having conversations that are fraught and that are tense, the tone of voice that they use, the things that they say, how they respond um, really gets our goat, really makes us cross. But that's because they don't know how to talk in a way and disagree with you. We have our way. If as parents, we tell them what that way is, then life is just so much easier. When our partner disagrees with us, there's certain things that really get to us. If they do it this way, it really makes us mad and, I'm, and vice versa. So we have to be able to teach our kids exactly the same thing. Parenting a House United gives us ideas about how to teach disagreeing appropriately. She has lots of systems and ways to teach. So I would really listen to that show 174 if you're looking for some ideas about that because it doesn't have to be about insults and storming off. Also gives some ideas for us as parents to be able to uh, talk things through when we disagree appropriately too. We need to teach that because if we don't teach the ways to disagree appropriately, then they will use what they see around them on the TV, on the street and at school. And I'm sure we've seen those displays in our own homes where they've tried to model what they've been seeing around them and they've ended in insults and storming off and violence because they didn't know any other way. As parents, we may or may not know ourselves how to do this very well but it's our job to be able to teach our kids and show them different skills because at least then we've shown them some ways to do this and then they can try. We need to show them when to disagree and when to wait is hard. So it's not that you're saying don't ever disagree with someone but actually teach them how sometimes you have to hold your tongue and wait till the right moment that self-control is really difficult. But sometimes we need to be explicit and talk about that. Do you remember that time when you just kept butting in and you kept, because you, you had something really important to say? It was really important, but what could you have done differently? I remember a time when I kept butting in and wanted to do this, but then I realized if only I had waited. So those types of stories are really helpful to show that we all are learning how to do this. Knowing when to speak up and whether you're cutting your nose to spite your face or burning your bridges. Sometimes you are absolutely right and you want to say it, but as an adult, you know that you're going to hold your tongue and just not say it. Teaching a child to be able to do that is really important. Some kids, they just somehow get it. They, they're able to do it, but many children will need it explicitly taught to them. 
that you don't burn your bridges by saying all the right things because you think I'm just right there I've said it because it could be too late you can't come back from that and that's not a win-win so we're, we're trying to encourage them to be able to learn how to make the situation good for both parties sometimes we have to use the word think is it thoughtful is it helpful is it inspiring is it necessary is it kind you've probably seen that those quotes that about we have one up in our house it's something that we regularly say to each other self-control is hard you guys it's hard and we can't unsay what we've said but we can practice and help our children to learn how to do that so that one resource that 174 is a good place for you to start to be able to do that number five the five-part apology but we all make mistakes we know that mistakes show that we're learning we understand that but how do we move on from the mistake well often that's exactly what happens we just move on from it we don't actually apologize well, we know that an apology is much more than just, I'm sorry, mumbled um, to each other. But that's often what happens or it just doesn't happen at all. So it's important part of wronging somebody is apologizing genuinely and learning how to do that. And we've talked about that a few times with Dr. Markham on the, the two shows that she's come on to do about emotional literacy and about sibling rivalry we've talked about the importance of a genuine sorry and and not that we force them to do it and we tell them go do it go apologize say you're sorry and make them do it but it has to come right from them and one way to do that is to teach them the four-part apology being able to break it down and I'll leave a link in the show notes for um, how to do that it's great we have a printable of it that we've printed out and it's above our dining room table and it really helps to be able to see it and go like oh yeah that's that's how I do it and eventually it will become just part of what they do knowing that when you make a mistake that you go through and you say these four things and you start to mean it and you start to feel it I would suggest getting a printable and putting it up in your house somewhere prominent where you can see it and teach to it talk to it let them hear you saying it and try it out we can't recall what's not there number six talking to a neighbor or an adult you don't know we all have the kids that are talky talky and very excited and we probably have the same kid maybe the next kid um, who's really quiet and finds it very hard there's something about an adult or a child who's quiet who doesn't look you in the eye that can give an impression that's not favorable and sometimes it's just because they don't realize that it's a problem to do it that way so if we can encourage our children to be able to look people in the eye when they're talking to them or i i heard in unselfie Dr. Bora, that you should look at the bridge of your nose, of somebody's nose, if you can, if you can't look into their eyes, 
or you can look for the colour of their eyes and be focusing on that rather than looking into their eyes. Because I guess you can stare with the penetrating stare if you're not if you're not careful. But we need to have, give them time to practice to be able to speak to an adult. There's a lot of stranger danger talk and with merit we have to be careful and we have to teach the we have to be careful of strangers however we need to teach our children how to talk to people how to talk to neighbors and how to talk to adults as well it's funny um my son the other day when i thought that he understood this and we were out and we were meeting some people for this the first time and um, we were shaking hands. Um, it was a very formal occasion. And it was like, hello. And he was somewhere else. And he came over and he went, hey, what's up? And we all just turned and looked at him. Like, wow, <laughs> did you really just do that? And he instantly felt the tension of the second. And luckily, um, some new friends just smiled and said, fine. You know, gave him the high five and were you know, absolutely fine about it. Um, you know, children, 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 that's just the way they are. But it, it was it was interesting a time because we looked at him and afterwards we had a conversation about what happened then. And, and he said, I just completely forgot that I was talking to adults. And, you know, for the moment he didn't see it. And it wasn't a big deal, but it showed us that we needed to remind him that when he's transitioning from one um, situation to another, that friends and adults are different people they are still friendly but we have to have that respect and remember how we treat each other some children actually need to be taught that and some children just see that innately and just do it in the right way that children need to learn to look at body language look at the way the person is so if my son had come in and he had seen that we were all shaking hands, he would have got the idea, oh, I need to shake hands. Even if he didn't know to do that, he would have noticed that that's what happened. It wasn't until we had the painful silence and everybody was looking at him <laughs> that he realized, oops, I did something that I shouldn't have done. It's a good place to practice is that when we go to appointments like the doctor's surgery or the dentist or other places, we're able to encourage our children to go up and book themselves in. Usually we have to be with them, but they can come up and say, hey, you know, this is so-and-so and I'm here for my appointment. And, you know, they usually want to talk to you anyway as the adult, but they are learning how to greet rather than saying, yo, what's up? Or um, just saying something. They're learning to wait their turn and for the, the receptionist to ask them, can I help you? Or, or whatever the, the rules of engagement happen to be. It helps to practice some of the words that you're going to say beforehand so that they know what they're going to do. Maybe they can practice on a cuddly toy in their room if they're younger kids or with each other if they have siblings or with you um, as an adult before you go and you can practice what's going to be said so that they have some idea of what might happen. And you can throw in a few curveballs of um, asking them a few questions if, if you think they're ready for it. All of these skills help the kids to be able to navigate their own lives and learn how to um, survive and thrive we do a lot of things for them but as they get older and older we want to show them how to do these things for themselves and be there 
for them while they are doing it so that they get a sense of understanding and then we can kind of hand it off very much like a relay race we're kind of holding them along and then we we want to be there with them for a little bit and then they need to be able to run on without dropping that baton as they go along so number six was talking to a neighbor which is a good place to start or an adult that you don't know being able to do that successfully number seven negative thoughts to yourself and appropriate times to share there's a time and a place for negative thoughts there's a time and a place for back talk although I can't think of many times that that's a good thing apart from by yourself maybe or comments after the comment at school I'm sure we've all heard the kid that said something and then another kid that has to chime in so everybody has to laugh there's a time and a place for that and mostly there's not a time for it you need to be able to teach the kids positive self-talk with a growth mindset so the power of yet so when they say I can't do this I'm really horrible I'm really terrible at math I can't do this you want to be able to teach them to say I can't do it yet but I can find another way I'll leave a link in the show notes to some other helpful scripts that you can use to encourage your children to use as self-talk. Sometimes they say the self-talk out aloud so that you can hear them. And sometimes it's just an inner voice. So you need to remind them of that. You can do this. You just need to find another way. How you approach someone if you have negative thoughts, like a teacher or a coach or a parent is really important. When you disagree with somebody in school or, or in um, a club situation, often it's not a good time to confront them in front of other people in a group setting. Sometimes children don't realize that. So we have to teach them in a more appropriate way of doing that, coming up after school and talking to the teacher, using email to start the conversation, um, asking to talk to them afterwards, approaching them quietly. And that's for coaches or teachers parents it's exactly the same maybe they're cross or upset about a rule or a situation that's happened they need to know how they should approach you when they have negative thoughts themselves because if they don't they will come out as negative thoughts and often in an inappropriate way I hate you you're stupid who cares about what you say anyway I'm not going to do it and this belligerence and madness will not help and so having a way that they can come and talk to you and say, mom, I'm having a real problem with what you said and here it is, you know, teacher so-and-so, you said this and this is how I feel about it. Those are much better approaches that they need to learn how to, to do. And often we need to teach that and actually share with them appropriate ways that they can do something because when you're filled with emotion, we don't often act in the most rational way, but at least if we've gone through it, modeled it, may even have tried it, what we can do. I love it at mealtimes or quiet times that we have when we're talking that we can actually act out and role play many of these situations. You know, think of a time when you were really mad at your teacher and they accused you of not doing something and you know that you were right and you know that they were wrong. How would you act out that situation and hear what they have to say and then 
give some suggestions. It's great if you have other kids that are around different ages, they can chime in. Often there's one person that's the wild card who would just say, just tell them. And sometimes you have the really sensible kids in there that will also give their ideas. It's really interesting to get the kind of the family consensus on what's going on. And those younger kids are just soaking it all in. And you're hoping that they will be able to do some of them when it comes their time. Number eight, coping with boring moments. And you know, we are always going to have boring moments. So one of the things that children need to understand, we hear a lot, I'm bored. Like, okay, sometimes it's just a statement. They're not asking us for anything. Sometimes we interpret it as parents that they want us to do something for them because they are bored or we feel that we should do something for them. When possible, preview with the kids often about what's coming up so that they know what's happening so that they can prepare themselves. Being proactive is probably one of the the best skills to be able to teach kids to be able to do because there are going to be things that they won't be able to control, but there are some things that they can control. If you want to know a bit more about previewing, I'll leave a link in the show notes to a post and a principle that I did about previewing. If they have a chance to plan, then things often go a lot more smoothly. Go through possibilities together of things to do that are creative and open-ended. List them every now and again. I've talked about this before on previous um, shows, that sometimes kids just need to remember the things that they can do, that they have rooms full of stuff, but they just can't see it. It's just become this huge kind of block their bedroom or their toy room or that area that you need to break it down in a list the older they are the more that they can do this kind of thing themselves because when you say what what things can you do they always say nothing I've got nothing because they just can't think of it but when you have this list either you do or they do you can just whip it out and give it to them and say look at all these things that you have that you can do And often just glancing at that list is enough for them to go, oh, give them an idea and lead them off in another direction. So they are learning to cope with their own boring moment that they might turn to a list to be able to use. Encourage them to use their own list, make their own list as they if they're younger, you might want to do it together. Give them then an opportunity to experience downtime, unscheduled time, enough to discover what to do with the boring moments, to use the list. It's a funny feeling when you've never had unscheduled time or downtime. You don't know what to do. It feels different. Allow them to experience that feeling and learn to grow with it. Know that it's not up to us to entertain them and find them things to do. There will be boring moments now and forever. Waiting has to be learned. We have to learn how to wait. We as a family have taken books with us. I've seen families take Rubik's cubes and crosswords. Some meditate, some have coloring books. They find ways to make sure that if a boring moment is going to come up, that they have something to do if they would like to. If we talk about before the event to give them time when they're at the event, it can be a lot easier. But what about boring moments in school, during school time? 
school times are different because you can't bring your coloring book along and you can't take out your Rubik's cube or your your other type of book to do. There are specific rules that you have to do if you're bored in school. And this is a subject really worth exploring, certainly in elementary, before they get to middle and certainly before they get to high. There will be times, if not already, they'll, they'll be coming if they don't, haven't happened already, when your child will know the information that's being shared. They're listening to the teacher, and they are bored because they know it. Or maybe it's because they can't do it. Either way, they're bored. It could be the whole lesson, and they have to know that distracting other students or saying, this is so boring, really loudly, is not the thing that you should be doing. I know this is something most children need to know. It isn't the right thing to do. There are lots of children that do know that that's not the right thing to do, distracting children, but it's something that probably needs saying. Coming from you is your family value for, for everybody to understand, like this is our standard, this isn't what we do. Although it's the thing they do without thinking often, what can they do in the situation is a good question to have with your tween, your teen, and even your elementary age child especially. When you're in a classroom and you are bored, what can you do? Schools have different policies on what you can do. Some will allow the children to use their technology devices in different ways. They're able to go and do choice boards and, and other work. Some allow you to read. Some just require you to sit and just participate and do it. It's good to have a plan. So ask the question of your kids yourself. When you're bored in class, what are some of the things that you can do? Another follow-up question for another day might be, does it happen often that you are bored in class? And then another follow-up question for another day might be, why are you bored? Often there are things to do in the classroom that your child doesn't know. So a quick email or a conversation with the teacher to find out will, will help that situation. Because the teacher might say, actually, they go really fast through the work. They need to go back and spend more time with it and they might do better with it. And that's good information for you to know. Or they might realize, oh, I didn't realize that they were finding it so easy. They always looked like they were working. I didn't realize that they were, they were completing the work so quickly. There's all sorts of things that can happen once you, you talk it through. Too many times we see bad behavior thrive when children are bored. So our children need to know, what do you do when you're bored? Bad behavior can be catching unless you have something to pull you back in the other direction. It's easy to laugh and and find it funny when people back talk and, and are being silly in class. But if you know that there are these other things that you can do, then you get pulled back and know that I, I need to get on with what I need to get on with. Encourage them at school to be ready to give ideas and a chance to be more engaged and not just switch off like, I know this, I'm done. But find a way to get back into this conversation. Maybe you'll be able to offer a, a question or be able to share something that was really important. Maintain an open dialogue that's not about their grades, but about the dynamics in the class too. Kids often don't know how to handle situations like a chatty friend who won't stop talking to them, or a friend who wants to borrow all their things, or what to do in a boring moment. 
Nobody wants to get other people into trouble. Your friend is still a friend, even if she likes to talk a lot. And your friend is still a friend if they keep borrowing all of your things and, and not always giving them back to you. But teaching kids about, well, I don't have to lend all my things out. Some things are precious. I don't do that. How to handle a friend when you need to tell them to stop talking, that you don't hurt their feelings and that they're still friends. Those are the conversations that we should be having more and more with our kids and not just talking about their grades. Meal times are a great time to be able to do this. Lastly, waiting is an important skill to master. Creativity comes from boring moments when our brain can run freely. They mustn't be afraid of it. So coping with boring moments, that was number eight. Number nine, asking for help. If we pick up on every mistake they make, if we criticize how they do things, if they hear more negative things and little to no better ways and suggestions of how to do things, it's no wonder that they don't ask for help. When they make a mistake, many of the times we don't need the overreaction we give. We need to keep as parents our emotions and our expressions in check and start with, How do you feel about what just happened? Not how did they feel, but how did you feel? Our kids are often very good and often very harsh about sharing their immediate feelings. What do you think you might do? Depending on the type of mistake, the age of the child and how you feel about the situation, Your question next might range from, I have some advice on how to handle it I think would really work well in your situation, to this is what I think you should do. So depending on what stage your child is in, you might want a direct intervention or you might want to be offering advice and kind of coaching, depending on what your relationship is like. Asking for help is something that we can model really well at home with role plays of how to ask for help and having do-overs. If let's do this situation and how would we do it in a better way for the kids to be able to see. It also helps if we give them scripts to say actual words that we think that will be really useful. So if we can think through a few situations and say, what could we say instead? Work with your child's personality. If they're shy, and quiet, they may not want to do it in a certain way. If they're gregarious, another way. And all the different types of personalities that our children have, we can adapt it for it to work with them. Give them individual options of how to ask for help. One child may be happy to go and see a teacher because they have a problem and they want to ask for help, and another may prefer email. We often don't realize what that is until there's a problem. So it's actually teaching them that there are many ways to do that. If you need help, come and ask me and let's figure out a way of how we can get you the help that you need. Be that soft place that the kids can come to you and be able to ask you, how do I go about doing this? Whatever the approach, we want to be able to support them in being able to ask for help. We can also model it by saying things like, Would you like some help with that? So my son is still struggling with tying his shoelaces really well. He can tie them, but the the big loopy parts are often too long. And so he trips over them or they get tied up and he trips over them. I've been saying a lot more to him. Would you like some help with that? And he's all very proud, like, I've got it. I know how to do it because he thinks that I want to take over and do his laces for him. 
and he's taken weeks to get to this point so he really wants to own it and feel it for himself but it doesn't stop me from asking and I've noticed that his brothers now will say to him would you like me to help you with that and they've said come and look how I'm doing mine and so modeling it has had the influence of him seeing other people wanting to help him and for them to be able to say it. And that's because they've directly seen me saying that recently. Because beforehand, no one was helping him. And he was trying really hard, but no one was helping him. So I know that since I have been saying, would you like some help with that? I have seen a change in how other people are wanting to do the same thing. A good question to start this conversation is, when you need help with your homework, your math, your brother, your locker, a friend, a secret, whatever the thing is, how do you ask for help? That's a good question starter to, to, to your each individual child. If you're going on individual dates where you go for a walk in the neighborhood, like I've talked about on, on many shows, or you are looking to go to the ice cream shop for that little date that you have, these are really good questions that we've talked about today that you can bring up as conversations. They might be things that you talk about before you go to bed, when you have that little bedtime, special time that you do. They might be things that you talk about at meal times, or in the car when you have one of them or two of them. So the question is, when you need help with fill in the blank, how do you ask for help? And again, this is the type of thing that you just do it once or twice. Don't ask for all of them. But every now and again, you fill in with different ideas. As they get to middle and secondary school, children need to be able to ask for help as things get harder, not bury their head in the sand like an ostrich. They need plenty of time in elementary and primary school to be able to practice being able to ask for help so that by the time they get to middle and secondary school, they are able to help and we don't have to jump in on their behalf. They are able to do that for themselves. Stories are really powerful. We have, I'm sure, many stories of how when we asked for help, how we were helped and how when we didn't ask for help, what happened if only we had helped. Stories are really powerful. Kids love to hear about the things that have happened to us and know how imperfect we are because we are. It gives them hope for them to realize that they can do better themselves because they know that their parents experienced the same thing. Somehow it becomes a weakness as they get older to ask for help. And we know the importance of being able to ask for help. We just have to show them that strength. Number 10 calm down strategies breathing do we have enough calm down strategies i've talked about that before on conscious the interview i had with conscious discipline and you can see that um, on episode 93 when i had that interview and we talked about a lot of calm down methods that really work so if you're looking for some resources and ideas start with that episode 93 and conscious discipline. Each child is different with their needs to be able to calm down. There's a lot of trying different approaches. So I'm going to list a few of them now um, for you to be able to, you know, Google them and look them up for yourself. Go read about them and, and search. Some of them might appeal to your child and sometimes you might be looking for something new. 
you might have a calm down chair, the calm down jar, going for a short run, push-ups or skipping or jump rope, yoga, meditation, breathing exercises, music, praying, colouring, taking a long bath or shower. There's all sorts of things that you can do to teach your child about calm down strategies. There are lots of discipline approaches that teach very specific calm down strategies that involve using the body. Finding them and learning how to use them is the most important thing. We can't bring up something that isn't there to be brought up. The most well-used one is probably the breathing one, but we have to teach the children how to do it well before they are in the agitated state because they don't want to do it when they're mad because that part of the brain isn't in the reasoning mode. But it can be a trigger if you've practiced enough times how to breathe really well and you've taught them the words like dragon breathing, when you're breathing really hard to like blow out a candle or whether you talk about belly breathing when you touch your tummy and taking really deep breaths and blow out really hard. If you've taught them that, when they are in that agitated state, you can say, perhaps you need to do some belly breathing. And that can be a trigger in their mind to remember what to do. Whether they do or not, who knows, but at least they have an understanding of what to do. Dr. Michelle Borber talks about the 1 plus 3 plus 10 as a way to remember, and we should teach our children. She says this, teach the 1 plus 3 plus 10, explain the formula. As soon as you feel your body sending you a warning sign that says you're losing control, do three things. First, stop and say, be calm. That's one. Now take three deep, slow breaths from your tummy. That's three. Finally, count slowly to 10 inside your head. That's 10. Put them all together and you have one plus three plus 10. And doing it helps you calm down and get back in control. And she also says, teaching a younger child to use dragon breaths to blow the anger out just like a dragon. I'll share that resource with you in the show notes too. The show notes are going to be packed today full of, full of resources. Kids are going to get angry and they need effective ways to calm down. And for us to just keep saying calm down is not helping them to calm down because whoever says calm down in a calm way, we just don't. It's often why we don't teach some of the life skills because we have so much trouble with them ourselves. I know, me too. This is why I wanted to tackle some of these social life skills today, these 10. Unlike the learn how to fill out a form or wash a car, these social life skills are very individual and very personality driven. Some of our children just do some of these skills with ease and some are a big stumbling block. And maybe they're a stumbling block for ourselves too. By talking about them, often and explicitly to our children we're not hoping that they catch the right idea we're giving them concrete ideas and opening up the conversation so that we can have more continued conversation about all of these things 
when my child is a teen and makes all the right decisions in his eyes and with his friends, they end up in a situation that they didn't expect. I want him to be able to ask for help without fear, that he would know what to do because he's practiced it many, many times. When they are away from our care at the neighbor's house, we want them to be able to speak well with other adults. We need them to know how to calm down if they get into a disagreement and we need to, for them to understand how to disagree appropriately so that they can safely leave the situation. When they are with their friends, we want them to know when to stick with their friends and say nothing, but stay there. And when to speak up with their friend and say something in the right way. We want our children to know that an apology isn't that five-letter word, sorry, but a four-part genuine system that's heartfelt. So now it's your turn. I've shared 10 social life skills that I think that our children should be tackling and we should get to doing that. I'd love to hear what happens in your family with these life skills. What do you do? What are your solutions? And which ones did I miss? Use the hashtag creatingfamilyhaven on Twitter and Instagram to talk about this episode or share your ideas in the Facebook group, The Society of Nimble Parents. I'll see you there. Thanks for being here today. I know this was a longer show and that there are many things that you could be doing right now, but I'm glad you've chosen to be here today and stick with us. I hope something I have said has triggered you to investigate something more and helped you to make a decision for your wonderful family. Don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment wherever you subscribe. I know it seems like a small thing, but it's one of the best ways as it helps new people to find the show. It's always nice to hear from listeners, and I heard from Corrie this week. Corrie, Corrie, I hope I'm saying our name right. She says that she really enjoys listening to the podcast, and she works from home on the night shift. Hi, Corrie. And she listens to the podcast when she takes her break. And she says that the show has really helped her to feel more focused and empowered as a parent, and it refreshes her intentions for the day ahead. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to two members that regularly listen, I know, because they've said that are also in the Facebook group, the Society of Nimble Parents. It's a great place for you to come in and talk about what we talk about on the show. And we talk about lots of other things. We have challenges and all sorts of things that are going on in there. It's Rosemary and Denise, both active members of the Society of Nimble Parents. I really enjoy the things that you leave and I'm glad that you are part of what we're doing here. Show notes for today's show with all the links that I talked about will be at raisingplayfultots.com forward slash 195. That's the number 195. While you're there, you can get the fortnightly Raising Playful Tots note that has some encouragement and ideas on our journey of intentional, simple parenting and simple play. Also, I have just updated a growing library of parenting resources and principles over on my site to help to support you. So see you again next time. You've been listening to Raising Playful Tots, show number 195. Come over and play next week. Until then, find time for some unplugged play and intentional parenting. Join with me each week as we share, learn and laugh together about making the most of creating our family haven. Goodbye.